0: I am truly so excited to introduce our speaker to you today. Uh, He is no exaggeration, one of my favorite people alive. <laughs> His name is Todd Hunter. He is our bishop. Uh, the bishop is the, the pastor over a family of churches called a diocese. And um, a couple of weeks ago, the diocese reached out to us, at Trinity, and they said, hey, we were thinking about maybe having Todd preach at all the churches in our diocese, or at least make it available on May 3rd. What do you all think of that idea? And immediately we were all like, yes, we would love that because we love Todd, he is such an incredible, good, compassionate, strong, gentle man. Every time I've gotten to be around him, I have been enriched and blessed and nourished. I've gotten to spend some considerable time with him, even in his home when he still lived in California with he and his wife, Debbie, and I I really am just Thrilled that you all get to experience him today. He's a person who knows Jesus closely and has walked with him for a very long time. And so I hope that you are blessed uh, as he preaches to us from the text in John chapter 10. And so to begin, I'm actually going to read that text and then Todd will, uh, will take it from there. John 10, verses 1 to 10. Very truly I tell you, anyone who does not enter the sheepfold by the gate, but climbs in by another way is a thief and a bandit, The one who enters by the gate is the shepherd of the sheep. The gatekeeper opens the gate for him and the sheep hear his voice. He calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he has brought them out, all, when he has brought out all his own, he goes ahead of them and the sheep follow because they know his voice. They will not follow a stranger, but they will run from him because they do not know the voice of strangers. Jesus used this figure of speech with them, but they did not understand what he was saying to them. And so again, Jesus said to them, Very truly, I tell you, I am the gate for the sheep. All who came before me are thieves and bandits, but the sheep would not listen to them. I am the gate. Whoever enters by me will be saved and will come in and go out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. But I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. This is the word of the Lord thanks be to God.
1: Hi, I'm Bishop Todd. Thank you so much for having me in your churches, and in this case, inviting me into your homes. I'm coming to you from my office, which is kind of being renovated here in, uh, in Franklin, so sort of a, a sparse backdrop, but these are, uh, these are sparse times. It's just so great to be with you. I know these crazy times are a big mix and um, are causing unspeakable pain, but um, in a kind of a sad irony, I guess they allow us to be together like this, and I'm I'm grateful to be with you. So beginning to think this morning about Jesus, the good shepherd, being what he says in our passage in John 10, the gate or the door, I often say that it's really important for us to think that the people who wrote the books and the letters that we now call the Bible were at least as smart as we are. And they knew that they were writing to a specific audience or to a specific person for a specific purpose. And therefore, they had a different manner of writing. They had kind of a different or distinctive voice for each audience, right? Like if you're hustling home from work and your spouse texts you and says, Hey, honey, don't forget to get bread on the way home. Right. That's a certain kind of writing for a certain moment for a a certain audience. You know, your spouse or a child or something. Or I'm old enough to remember when grandma sent you a gift and I was thinking this morning, remember that movie, The Christmas Story, where grandma sends uh, pajamas all the time and the little boy gets the pink bunny suit? Yeah, well, I remember when, when grandma sent you stuff like that, you still had to write a handwritten note back to grandma saying thank you. Well, that's a different sort of writing to a different sort of audience. Or if you were writing a formal letter to the IRS or to a bank, again, that audience and its purpose would make for a certain kind of writing. Well, in John's gospel, we have before us in this reading this morning, something like an evangelistic track. In fact, at the end of John's book, he writes, these things are written that you might believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the son of God, and that in believing you may have life in his name. Well, we're, of course, living in a terrible time of testing our belief in one manner or another. Yesterday, I was on a conference call with our canon theologians, one of whom is Emily McGowan, who's a new professor at Wheaton. And I was asking them, we were just sort of checking in, hey, what are you guys thinking? What are you hearing from your students? You know, like, just kind of what's going on with theology in the middle of this pandemic. <clears throat> and one of the questions I asked them I said, are are people thinking about theodicy, which is just a big word, big fancy word for trying to understand how evil and God can exist at the same time. And Emily said, yeah, sure enough, a, a lot of students are asking about suffering. And so it's in these moments where John's letter has just like stood in the center of Western culture, where whether we're believing for the first time or for a deeper time, we're just asked this question or given this invitation to believe. And to believe here doesn't mean to give mental assent. It means to trust in or rely on or to cling to, to have confidence in something. And that when you have that confidence, then John says you end up with a life, a certain sort of life, a life with the characteristics and the character of Jesus. It's life in Jesus. So again, this, this gospel tract has just stood here in the middle of our lives asking, do you believe? And it asks us that question, that question is asked of us this morning in our current context. As I was thinking about this passage this week, I remember when Debbie and I were teenagers in the Jesus movement in Southern California and hearing this question for the first time from a young evangelist, do you believe? But I also remember the very many times over the last 45 years or so in which do I believe is challenged by different contexts and different seasons in life people who are following what Jesus called thieves and robbers, like their their minds sometimes just get wandered away into that, that negative sort of stuff that Jesus was talking about. They're asked again, do you believe? So when John asks us to believe in order to have life in Jesus, John has something really specific in mind. And it's not mostly what can dominate American religion or American spirituality, which would have to do with having correct doctrine or choosing the right denomination. So let's just keep it real for a minute. I mean, how careful really is your theology? I mean, do you really have detailed interpretations mentally handy for all the big and important categories of of Christian doctrine? Or when you chose a denomination, I mean, did you really study all the denominations and all the streams to pick the denomination that we're a part of? And of course, for most of us, the answer to those questions are no. But we can just relax about that. I mean, care is needed in those things. And certainly, I can put my hand over my heart and say, every day of my Christian life, I've tried to grow the best I can in precision thinking about those sorts of things. But I just want you to know that heaven's not gonna be populated by the top 10 best theologians who ever lived, not by the most um, you know, nuanced historians or the brightest sociologists of religion. What John is asking for here, the goal of any of that sort of thinking, the goal of any of our praying or studying, it has to do with the lines of helping us believe and then believing to have life in Jesus' name. So any, any system of doctrine, any church ought to exist to help us believe so that we can then have life, the life that God intended in Jesus' name. Now, one of the readings appointed for today is Psalm 23, and of course, you all know it. And the life that Jesus had was a life that David had in some very important, similar ways. Psalm 23, in some ways, was pointing us to the life that Jesus had and that John is inviting us into. It was not poetry. You know, Psalm 23 isn't just like beautiful poetry. It's actually the lived experience of David. That David actually knew that the Lord was his shepherd which meant that he was in the care of another. And he says, even in the darkest of valleys, and certainly nobody in the 20th century and now into the 21st century has had many more dark hours than the one we're living in. And so again, that question is set before us. And David said that I'm in the care of another even when I'm among my enemies. And so David said, I therefore, being in the care of another, I don't have to live under the tyranny of my wants and my desires. So his care, this care of the good shepherd, David says, produces in me a different sort of person. This is what David means when he says he restores my soul and he leads me to paths of righteousness. That word righteousness in Hebrew is a a lovely word of just moving towards that which is right, moving towards that which is in alignment with God's purposes, moving in alignment towards the divine will and creation. That's what paths of righteousness is getting at. And in fact, David says that goodness, mercy, and divine presence are my most fundamental reality. And I get it how we read that today and go, yes, but our reality seems horrible. And of course, I would say, yes, it is. And it reminds me of my conversation again yesterday with Emily, who Emily said, I wonder how many of my students are really in their heart of hearts looking for an answer. I wonder if an answer would actually really be satisfying even, you know, just a mere intellectual answer. Emily surmised, and and I agree with her, so I'm, I'm saying it as well that I think actually what our hearts cry out for is how do we be? Now being of course includes knowing, but it can't be reduced to knowing. It can't just be reduced to an intellectually coherent um, doctrine of evil and suffering. But what we're really after is how do I be in the valley of shadow of death? How do we be in these weeks and months ahead? How do we believe that we are actually in the care of another and therefore find life? in Jesus' name. So David's lived experience was he was in the care of the Father. Jesus' lived experience was that he was in the care of the Father. And knowing that he was in the care of another allowed him, as our reading in 1 Peter says, that when they hurled insults at Jesus, he didn't retaliate. When suffered, he made no threats. Instead, he entrusted himself to God. So Peter's telling us that as he watched Jesus' life unfold, from the adoring crowds to the horror of Passion Week, as we just went through, Jesus, I'm sorry, Peter noticed that Jesus came to rely on God to cling to him and to place his confidence in God's care. He entrusted himself to God, which meant that Jesus knew he never had to sin or do wrong to secure himself, even in the presence of betrayal, misunderstanding, reviling, and even a brutal, bloody, unjust death. Now what's happening here? I think that Jesus is operating outside of cultural norms precisely because he's operating inside of relationship with his Father. And it's precisely that goodness, you know, like that power aimed with ethics that makes him the gate, as John says, or the, the door, that Jesus says, I'm the gate, I'm the door. What makes that a good thing is what he brings to it in his person. So I don't know if you have your reading in front of you in John 10 or not, but if you do, uh, this describes a very common scene where as night would fall, the, the shepherds in a small area would lead their sheep into like a, a mutual communal uh, protection of the sheepfold. And since there was no gate to close, these things were basically just piles of rocks in a circle, just an opening that the shepherd then would keep the sheep in and the wild animals out by lying across the opening. And so as he slept there, he literally became the door for the sheep. And so when Jesus says, I'm the gate, he says the result of it is that whoever enters through me will be saved. Now that word saved is a really important, really pregnant word. It means that they're rescued. So Jesus was picturing human beings being rescued from the various things that tyrannize us. That they would be delivered from the kinds of forces that hold us down. And that they would be kept safe and sound from danger and destruction. And so when Jesus contrasts that work of the good shepherd being the gate or the door against what he calls thieves and robbers, he's really talking about something like what Paul would mean with principalities and powers. That like thieves have lied to us, quote, you know, thieves have lied to us about materialism. Or quote, robbers, you know, as an analogy, have said, vote for me and I'll protect you. But the truth of it is, we don't really fully trust any of them, especially right now. And what that means then for so many people is that they get in the bondage of thinking, well, then I can only do what I can to take care of number one. Which then almost always includes rationalizing all manner of sin. And to make it worse, as these weeks go on, now there's all kinds of conspiracy theories popping up. No one really knows who can be trusted. No one knows which politicians or entrepreneurs really have us as their first priority. And with Jesus, the Jesus that John invites us to believe in and to have life in Him, we can just always be sure that we are His highest priority and that we are never to Him a client or a customer or a vote. He is both the protective gate and our shepherd. And this means that I never again have to do wrong or medicate myself or harm others to keep myself safe. And John's gospel stands in our day. The end of April, beginning of May 2020, asking, do you believe? actually encouraging us to believe, because John saw the vision that if you'll believe, if you'll trust in this, rely on this, place your confidence in it, that you then will have life in Jesus' name. Well, John said, I wrote these things that you might believe. And I've said these things to you this morning that you might believe. Whether that's for the first time, or for a deeper time, or another time, or a newer time, here's some ways that you can know that your believing is real. You'll know that you're having life in Jesus's name when you feel released from what I call functional atheism, which is just the thought pattern that says, nothing good is gonna happen here unless I make it happen. Well, when you're in the care of another, such thought is banished. You'll know you're really living the life that John was inviting us to when you feel freed from forcing things, from controlling all outcomes, and from judging yourself and judging others. And then thirdly, I think you'll know you're really getting a, a, a whiff, a, a sniff of this new life when you begin to feel delivered from fear and worry and stress regarding the future. Well, here's how you can begin to believe if you feel like, yeah, this morning, Todd, I actually do need to once again, or for the first time, place my confidence in God and find life in Christ. Here's how you can let that happen. Jesus said, my sheep know my voice. They hear my voice and they know it. So just begin to listen for his voice. And maybe you've heard his voice in this message and want to respond. John would be so happy. And then if you've heard that voice, follow that voice. Begin to really cherish it and treasure it and fashion your life upon it. Begin to place your trust in that voice. Place your confidence in it. And then walk through that door. Walk through that gate And enter the realm of the kingdom of God, which Paul tells us is marked by the righteousness and peace and joy of God himself. So this morning, I'm inviting you to trust and follow Jesus, to receive what Jesus said he came to bring. And I love the way Peterson gets this in the message, verse 10. He has Jesus saying, I came so that they might have real and eternal life more and better life than they ever dreamed of. And I ask you, trust and follow Jesus. Amen.